We have a fellowship the world doesn't have. We have a bond they can't create. This is sweet. This is beautiful. But everything can pull you away from it if you don't have the mind of Christ. Understanding the mind of Christ so that we might enjoy the Koinonia Fellowship he's called us to. Hi there. Welcome. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Chris Gordon, who today begins a look at Philippians. It's a very sweet epistle by the Apostle Paul, one of the more intimate ones here in the New Testament, as he writes to a church he deeply, dearly loves and has great fellowship with. There is so much to learn from this marvelous epistle. Let's do so together, shall we? Let's catch up with our teacher and pastor, Chris Gordon, for today's broadcast of Abounding Grace and our look at Philippians. We would never invest in a church that has and put all our money in a place that has only a few women down praying by the river. I know of no church growth outfit that would even consider it. I've been listening to the Christianity Today series on on the rise and fall of Mars Hill. And I was just north of that when the whole thing was booming. And I can't tell you the problems that we had with that ministry and the young people. Um, The abuses are all coming out now and it's all been documented and recorded. It was the fastest growing young restless and reform movement at the time. On Seattle, the most unchurched city, 15,000. And I always thought when something comes up that quick, it's going to die that quick. And overnight it died. Soon as, he, as soon as he quit, the church was done. And the series is interesting because it documents all the great things that we see today. It documents the beginnings of Schuler and the Crystal Cathedral. It documents the, how uh, Rick Warren started by having paid great money for surveys into which county in, in Southern California would work. And he tapped into the Orange County and grew the biggest church down here. What does all that train us in? God's in the big things. God's in the big things, right? What we don't realize is that actually God works in the little things, to make big things. The things that are not esteemed in the people. Notice he didn't come get Hollywood stars. You'd never pick these people to start your church. We forget what brings a church together to begin with. Here's my point. Philippi had experienced great success in the gospel ministry. It was a growing church. There were great things happening in this church. This is why Paul's so excited. They obviously had some kind of financial wealth because they're supporting Paul. And he's really grateful. But what we see in Paul and what we see as we open up this epistle is that the church had forgotten the basis for which they had been united together to begin with. I believe the church forgot their humble beginnings. Remember um, in Revelation, there's something similar that happens in Revelation with the church in Ephesus. He says, I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you've not grown weary. You're fighting all the air, and you hate the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. You're doing all of that. But this I have against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. 
Often that's misunderstood as if they had left Jesus. They didn't leave Jesus. What had happened was the original joy, the original happiness in Christ's work of establishing them as a church that produced acts of love in the body of Christ, that produced all kinds of good works in the kingdom of God and in the congregation, people were excited to be there. There was real sacrificial love by the members. They gave great care to visitors. But as they faced success, and as hardship came, sacrificial love was gone. And it was replaced with pride and division. This could happen here way easier than we think. Think of the humble beginnings. Uh, uh, many of you are, remember this. The humble beginnings of the Escondido United Reformed Church. People putting little coins in coffers to build school. Think of the sacrifice. Think of the happiness that was probably there right from the beginning when this formed. And how much investment from the first generation. How much investment from the people. How much sacrificial love. And what has the Lord done? He's blessed you. <laughs> He's blessed you. He has um, been really good to this place, to this church, to you as a people. Can't you see it? Who, who doesn't see that? <laughs> Who's so blind not to see that? <laughs> that the Lord is in this place working. What can easily happen in a church? Not much. People forgetting the purpose. People losing heart. People checking out. <laughs> that doesn't look much like what that original fellowship looked like when the church began. That's what can happen. The next generation really not embracing their parents' faith. Has that happened? And what follows that? Pride. Pride. Now, when we get to the problems the church was facing that occasioned this letter, this is what helps us. What were the problems in Philippi? Two major problems. The problems outlined in this epistle, something I've just outlined was a major issue going on, but I think you have to get a little deeper into what precipitated and brought this. In verse 27, he speaks very pointedly of one of the problems in the church, and I think you have to see it. So if you have your Bibles there, listen to what it says in verse 27, if you see it. Only, listen to this. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to you and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Hmm. What was the first one of the real issues that had created what I just described? Well, the culture was bearing down on them. The culture was bearing down on them. Persecution was coming. So you have this clear statement 
of Paul here in verse 27, calling this church to stand firm, to strive for the faith of the gospel. And, and, and then listen to this statement. I don't want you at all afraid of any adversary. <laughs> That's pretty freeing, isn't it? By the time Philippians was written in about AD 62, we have documented evidence that uh, the primary title for the emperor was Lord and Savior. So you can kind of understand when Paul's writing and saying, no, Jesus is Lord and Savior, what he's reacting against. (laughs) They were called in Philippi at certain times to bow and pay homage to the emperor as Lord and Savior. I guess you can be thankful you don't have to do that to President Biden, right? Because you wouldn't do that. I know you wouldn't do that. There was a dividing line. They had to take a stand. Especially when Nero would soon come. And, and Paul knows all this is coming. In fact, he, he, we'll look at where he's writing this as, as this epistle goes. But, but notice the dilemma here that they have to face. Adversaries were on the outside. And Paul says, I want you to stand firm. And I want you to contend. Remember um, what happened to Paul and Silas in Philippi. Then the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison. (laughs) Wow. The magistrates did that. Paul's uh, goal in this book is to reorient their minds to have the mind of Christ. Philippians 2 is going to be the heart of this we'll get to. Who for the joy that was set before him did what? (laughs) Endured the cross. Fear is a big part of this. When the culture turns on us, it's fear that overwhelms us and then we're worried about our future. What do you think that does to the ministry? What do you think? stagnates the whole thing. Paul's answer in chapter 3 for our citizenship is in heaven. He's going to really help them understand where citizenship truly lies. Your citizenship is in heaven. And guess what? You want to, you were worried about your future? Let me tell you what your future is. This is why I love the book. He's so upbeat in it. You will get to wait eagerly for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who when he comes, he's going to transform your lowly bodies and make your body like his. (laughs) That's your future. Paul was um, helping them to understand a perspective on life. In difficulty, to think of how really to rejoice in the midst of pain. And this doesn't mean you have to wear the artificial smile all the time. To rejoice in suffering, to have the mind of Christ, to understand the purpose. And that first problem of fear of, of a culture that had turned against the church leads to the second problem of the book. The second problem of the book is, is that the church had faced some kind of internal unrest. In chapter 214, he writes, and this is really going after this, do all things without disputing or complaining that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. 
It's a rare moment in, the, in, the, in Paul's writings, but in chapter 4, he calls out two women by name, probably the, some of the very founding women at that prayer meeting at the beginning, Yodia and Syntyche. And you notice what he says there. He says, you guys be of the same mind, and you other brothers, come alongside them and help them to stop the fighting. So two women were divided up and were of considerable influence in the church. And sides had been taken, and fights had begun. Here's what I believe happened. External pressure from the culture drove internal division. Now, I don't think I would have ever appreciated that as much unless I'd gone through COVID. Think about this for a minute. One of the blessings the Lord's given us is unity through this, and I'm so thankful for that. But this is a little bit abnormal from everyone I've talked to in the church of Jesus Christ. How much posturing, how much division and separation was caused over government decisions, whether you agreed or not? At the heart of this was the sense and this fear that all these decisions, there was, there's no fear of God in these rulers anymore. And in a culture that has turned anti-Christian, what position did that put us in as a church? Very defensive. Sometimes retreating. Sometimes angry. Sometimes confused. Frustrated over a loss of rights. Living in a culture, going to hell in a handbasket. What do you think happens at times like that to sheep? Well, what does anxiety do to your lives? (laughs) What does it do to your families? Causes a lot of conflict, doesn't it? Do we see sacrificial love at times like this? Or do you see pride? With everyone knowing all the answers. Do you see great unity at times like this? Or division? In the last year, have we seen in in the United States a church really uniting together in the mission of Jesus? Or have we seen fear and separation? What have we lived? Has it been easy to become through all of this individualistic, alone, separate, relying on our own wisdom to make our decisions? Away from the body of Christ, if we can just get away. Is that, is, that, is that an easier route? You know the answers to these questions. Paul was concerned about this. That this kind of stuff begins to dismantle the mission of the church. And it begins to dismantle this kind of posturing and inner, inner bitterness and pride becomes in factions. And, and the church has lost its way. That, that's, what's go, that's what he's worried about here. And now you can appreciate the heart of this book, the purpose of this book today. And that's why Paul begins the way that he begins. How does he begin to to, to this wonderful church that's struggling in the current present evil age in which it finds itself? Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus. (laughs) That's That's a moment in and of itself to begin the book, isn't it? Sometimes I think the word servant loses the real effect of this. Servant's beautiful. But really, he is talking about being a slave, not of somebody who's harsh to us, 
but of our loving God who saved us. Notice this beautiful entry to this book. Slaves of Jesus Christ to all the saints who are in Philippi with the bishops and the deacons, the elders and the deacons is what he's talking about. This is um, an important thing that he includes the leadership. To remember what the Lord has called us to and who we are. Because we always have this great need in the kingdom of God to be brought back to humility. We always have this great need to to be brought back to the gospel message and what that gospel message, the fruit of it, should produce in us. There's going to be a great reason in chapter 3 he talks about the righteousness he thought he had before he was saved and how he counted everything lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ who justified him by faith. He realized what he was. It's that kind of humble mindset that makes a servant. You know what he did for you? You know what Jesus did for you? He became the servant. He became the slave. He became the one to empty himself for you, to give himself for your salvation, having your best interests in mind. And he endured a lot of affliction to do it, knowing it was all appointed so that you would be his fruit. You would be his reward. You know that? That's how much he loves you. See, this, this book helps us to have the mind of Jesus. Book, this book helps us to have joy and peace in difficult times. And that's where he begins. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. What a way to begin. It's not grace and peace. It's grace to you and peace in the original. The God of heaven and earth whom you've offended, the one whom you've despised and rejected, has something to tell you here, and he wants you to know that it's grace to you. He has given grace to you as a church, as his body. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're suffering, whatever pain you're undergoing, whatever difficulty that causes this kind of pressure, Grace to you. Grace to you, says God. (laughs) I've given you my grace. All my favor rests upon you. And I've done something else. I've reconciled you so that you can have peace. True peace in this world. Having been justified by faith, you have peace with me, says God. You're the most blessed people on the face of the earth. Understand that? The God of heaven and earth whom you offended, whatever you're facing, would you remember that? God's given you grace. Before time began. (laughs) Before you even existed. I want you to know God poured that out upon you. You didn't deserve it. He didn't look at your works and say, what a great person. He didn't look and say, there's a model citizen in the kingdom. He said, you're a mess. And I loved you. And I pulled you up. And I saved you. You know God cares to give you that word every Lord's Day. You wonder, does God love you? Am I really in his favor? When life is this hard, That's what he's announcing to you. 
God has been that good to you. He's been compassionate. And he's given you peace. This is how he's going to keep this church on track. <laughs> this is how he's going to keep this church on track. You know where Paul's writing this, beloved? Prison. And he's going to say rejoice in every circumstance. With chains on his neck, waiting Nero's decision as to whether he's going to die. I'm so thankful for you, dear church. He says, I pray for you with joy, but I don't want you to forget your partnership in the gospel. See, there's the heart of this. Your fellow, your koinonia in the gospel. You've received grace and you've received peace from God. So share together in that. And don't get sidetracked by what's going on in the culture. And don't let internal divisions rip you apart. God's blessed you. That's the message here. Don't let pride and foolish disputes and complaining wreck your purpose. Don't take your eyes off of what Christ has done for you. That's the mind that guides you. You know, the fellowship that we have is so sweet. I close with this. I was able on my trip to go up and drive with seven people all the way to Washington. I don't really recommend that. It was a great time. It wasn't always internally peaceful in the car, though. We go all the way up to Bellingham, and we looked at the lakes, and we sat out on the lakes. Reverend Stromberg took us out on his boat. The greatest joy was seeing the saints I hadn't seen in many years. The greatest joy was seeing God's people all over this world. God's people who love him. God's people who care. And then I get to come back to you and see all of you like this. We have a fellowship the world doesn't have. We have a bond they can't create. This is sweet. This is beautiful. But everything can pull you away from it if you don't have the mind of Christ. And that's what this book will help us with. You got Abounding Grace Radio, Pastor Chris Gordon taking us to God's Word that we might grow and abound in His grace. Chris will be back in just a moment to close out our time today with a word of prayer, but I'd like to leave you with our contact information. If you'd like to get a hold of us for any reason at all, maybe you're... Maybe you're looking to be a part of this ministry financially. We'd love to hear from you. Maybe it's prayerfully. Again, please let us know. If you've got a question or comment, I'll tell you how you can reach out to us and send that question our way, and we'll do our best to get Chris behind a mic to answer it just for you. Here's our contact information. First, our phone number, 888-504-8805. That's 888-504-8805. You can visit us online at agradio.org. That's agradio.org. And consider that somewhat like a diving board into other platforms that we are on. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Again, all of those platforms are available through our website, agradio.org. If you'd like to lick a stamp, send us a letter. The address is Abounding Grace Radio. Post Office Box 732. Linden, Washington. The zip code is 98264. 
Now, as mentioned, if you've got a question for Pastor Chris, it's as simple as opening up your smartphone, accessing the Voice Memo app, and recording that question along with your name and where you're calling from, and then emailing it from the Voice Memo app to us, questions at agradio.org. That's questions at agradio.org. If we use your question on the air, we'll let you know when. As promised, now let's return to Pastor Chris once again as we close out today's broadcast with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this glorious book. Thank you for uh, helping us, Lord, to have the mind of Christ and to enjoy each other's gospel fellowship, a fellowship that was here from the beginning that bound together us in love and in service and in sacrificial love because of the love of the gospel that you have shown to us. And may that always remain in this place. May the fears going on in the world and the culture and the things that are happening and internal problems never derail us from what you have called us to be, to enjoy the gospel fellowship, to have the mind of Christ that we might so be your witnesses and demonstrate true humility, thankful for the salvation you've given. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And amen. Well, next time we are together, we'll continue our look at Philippians and the joy of the gospel fellowship. Join us then for Abounding Grace with Pastor Chris Gordon. Abounding Grace is brought to you on this radio station by Abounding Grace Radio Ministries. Hi, this is Chris Gordon, pastor of the Escondido United Reformed Church. I'd like to invite you to our Sunday worship services at 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. on Sunday. We have two worship services, 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. We preach Christ and Him crucified with the goal that you would live in the joy of this comfort in the knowledge of the forgiveness of all of your sins. 1864 North Broadway is the address here in Escondido. We'd love to see you this Sunday.